Call me a sinner in front of all these friends. That was great because the introduction at the first service, I had to uh, have full disclosure and say that the time I wept in the first uh, section of, of worship for the earlier service was, um, I am unholy, unworthy, and yet he loves me. I think song number two, maybe, uh, just got me in the heart, and I thank you, worship leader, for bringing me to tears. And, um, and then, of course, this last song, uh, Sinner Condemned. I mean, oh, how marvelous, how wonderful. Um, I just stand in awe uh, during worship of what He has done for us. And, and so uh, it was good that Pastor identified me as a sinner because he was so nice in the first introduction, made me a little nervous that you would think that I wasn't just a broken vessel uh, literally enjoying the walk of faith uh, because of what Christ has done. It's a blessing to be here. Um, Parkway is a special place to me for lots of reasons. Um, when I first moved to Fairfield in 1987, uh, I think the first pastor I met was Pastor John Hansen. And I could say that easily in the first service, but I saw his wife, so uh, it gave me a little one of those. Um, I'm a man easy to tears, so you'll just have to, to put up with me on that. Um, but I think he was the first pastor I met, and, and he served in the police department for more than a decade, I think longer. Um, as a chaplain, and he was a chaplain who was available uh, to men and women who would ask the right questions, and it's so valuable in a, in a pastor who's a chaplain. And so I was blessed. Um, I mentioned the first service that Tony Tiemann's father was one of my first sergeants, and he was a bigger-than-life character um, to work for. Um, I've met many, many young people who were born again uh, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone through high life. Um, I know of the gold standard in tutoring that Paulina leads uh, right out the back door that really is investing in the lives of young people uh, that will know Christ and um, walk a life of faith. I stand in awe of that. I was amazed when Parkway said, hey, we're stepping out in the city hope. I'm like, another thing? Um, you guys are very active. It makes um, it a blessing to be the chief of police when there are churches who are a light, right? A beacon. You're a lighthouse on this corner and have been for so long. Uh, and then I saw, I mentioned on the on my way in, I saw at the early service the missionary to Rwanda, and that's a place that's real special to me. I've been there uh, on five missions trips. I have a connection with some churches and men there, and, and so, it's, so to see that on the wall, and then um, uh, I'm a stalker of your pastor. Uh, <laughs> I uh, listened to his sermons online, um, and when he used to have, and it may be somewhere else in the building, but right by the front door, writings, doctrinal truths there. When I came here for, for homeschool events, I would take them off the wall a few at a time because they were deep. You know, you, didn't, you were foolish if you took a stack because then you, you would never get through them all. So you just take two or three at a time and really spend some, some weighty time in there uh, being fed. And... Uh, you're blessed uh, to have a pastor who's a theologian and uh, a shepherd, a theologian and a shepherd. Um, they're not always connected. <laughs> um, sometimes the reality is some people are really gifted in shepherding, uh, but they're not really deep in the Word, and some guys are really deep in the Word, but they have a hard time connecting to people. We are who we are, right? That's perfectly okay. It's a blessing when you have both. I wasn't in uh, Pastor Dan's office two minutes today when he... Um, got right to the point and asked how I was. 
How are you and how is your family? Um, that's a blessing. Uh, I praise the Lord for that happening here, so I was able to say, pretty good. My wife and I haven't been getting along real well the last week or so. <laughs> but she's here, you know, she's with me. She came. Um, uh, any, can I just ask, not by a show of hands, am I the only one? Um, but what a blessing, though, to be able to share that with Dan and know he's, he's praying for me and to tell my wife on the way in, hey, I had some time with the pastor, I told him we're not getting along real well, and we're all going to be here together. Um, see, that in Acts 2.42, this, this has nothing to do with my outline, but in Acts 2.42, it says the early church was steadfast. That means they were after it all the time. Doctrine, fellowship, communion, and prayer. That word fellowship means that I should have complete freedom to tell you I need you to pray for my marriage. Because we're, we're one flesh. So there's no separation of one flesh. We're one. So in the great times and the challenging times, we're still one. Um, so fellowship means I can share with you and you go, hey, I'm praying for that guy and his wife. We love each other unconditionally. She's my best friend on the planet and I'm her best friend. But when you hit a bump in the road, see on Sundays what happens sometimes, we go, hey, how's it going? Great. How about you? Great. Um, it's good to be in fellowship. And I, you know, I just am here on a Sunday and I have felt it immediately coming through the back door earlier. So thank you for that. Um, I'll share with you uh, a little bit. <laughs> I was going to say I share so you know how to pray for me. I guess you do now. Um, <laughs> I have been in the business uh, for 31 years. Uh, I got sworn in 32 years ago, and I had a one-year break where I did a sabbatical to a church under a board of overseers in Vacaville to, to uh, be licensed into the gospel ministry, and I've done that off and on for, for 20 years since. And have loved. I loved years of being bivocational. It was a, the most encouraging years of my life, and and the Lord opened some different doors, and, and now I'm having a hard time doing one. And uh, so when you, when you consider uh, my family, I, I, would, I would ask you to pray uh, more for my wife and my kids than for my career. I have six children. I have a son who's 31, and then I had five daughters in a row, um, which is a great blessing. And uh, I have a, my firstborn, Tony, played his first musical event ever in this parking lot some 15 years ago. Chris Gray had some big event. There were skateboarders and noise music um, going on in the parking lot. And you remember that? You guys all looked at Chris and said, what is that? Um, that one of them was my son and his band. And he played music then professionally for many years after that. And, um, and whenever, if you think of Tony, pray for him. Pray that uh, the Lord would be as important as music, right, for that young man. Then I have a daughter who has a couple of children, so I have two grandsons. Um, I'm blessed beyond measure. And my daughter Katie, uh, some of you knew, she went home to be with the Lord on Mother's Day of 2012. That was two days ago, four years ago on Friday. Um, and I shared with the first service, you know, there's days where I can talk about it. And I can, in my mind, I'm so good with the fact that her best breath, her very best breath she ever took was her last breath. Because if you ask Annie, who's sitting there, she'll be in her little purple wheelchair later today, because she has the same disease that Katie has had. Um, she doesn't have it anymore. She's perfectly healed. Uh, one of the songs we sang about seeing, um, and Annie said, well, I see in heaven, during the song, because she's blind. She can't see, or, uh, but she hears real well. Um, the best breath is the last breath, breath for Christians, by the way. Are we in agreement on that? Because you know what happens next? Annie will say, poof. You're in the presence of the Lord. 
That's what she says, poof. You close your eyes, poof, you're in the presence of the Lord. That's, that's the price. That's where we're going. And so uh, Katie went to be a Lord. I have a, a graduate coming up from Sac State next week, and she's a deaf studies major. Um, so I'm really excited as I watch over here. That's her, uh, that's her major, and she's continuing that field. And then I got a couple more. I got one figuring out what she's doing, and I've got Anne Marie sitting right there. So when you think of us, I'd just ask you selfishly to pray uh, for me that I could be a, a good husband and a good dad and a good granddad, that, that I could follow Christ in the endeavoring. And that, uh, it's nice when you have the pulpit and you have a bunch of friends present. You could just ask them how to pray for you. It's really good. Um, turn to Mark 15, Mark chapter 15. Let's go to the gospel of Mark together this morning. Mark 15, on April 24th, the day after Pastor Hansen's memorial service, uh, Pastor Dan preached a sermon inspired by Pastor Hansen's comments. You'll remember that. You were probably all really exhausted that day, uh, but you were present, and you heard that the inspiration for this sermon was Pastor Hansen's comments on a sermon, his final sermon that he never preached about never retiring from the service of the Lord, never retiring from serving Christ. Now, what a great challenge, especially in a country where our entire focus is getting to retirement and stopping. Isn't that amazing? We live in it because it's unique uh, in some ways to our culture that you get to an age and you stop. And Pastor Hansen, who never stopped, right? I would see him in Starbucks with different men because I... I would go on my breaks and have coffee, and I'd see them with different meds with their heads down praying right up to the end. Never retire. And so Pastor Dan preached this sermon called The Last Wish from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, and he talked about living a life poured out for Christ, the living sacrifice for Christ. He said, he quoted and said, a life lived flat out for Christ and if you're anything like me, I listened to it and I was convicted and challenged and I recognize that oftentimes I don't feel like I'm being poured out in my daily life for Christ. I just feel empty. I don't feel like a living sacrifice. I feel like one who's been sacrificed and I'm just laying there dead. There are days I don't feel like I'm living flat out, but I feel literally like a flat tire, one with a flat tire on the side of the road in the walk of Christian life. And so when I heard that sermon, I was stirred. I was thinking, Lord, I desire to be what Pastor Hansen's last sermon, preached through Dan, challenges me to be. That's who I want to be. And so very simply this morning, what I'd like to do is share with you what helps me keep my eye on the prize. A very simple truth that was taught uh, many, many years ago, at a, a sermon that I, I was, had the blessing of being challenged by. A very simple concept that helps me to turn my eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, uh, one day at a time. And it's a very simple concept to avoid growing cold and wearing out or rusting out, but rather being poured out on behalf of Christ. This place in Revelation 2, which always horrifies me when I read it, and we look at the church at Ephesus, and, and we recognize that for 40 years they had remained faithful. Think about that, 40 years of remaining faithful, and then they lost their first love. So for 40 years they were faithful, and then they lost their first love. If you're a believer, your first love is Jesus Christ the Lord, right? He's the one who redeemed you and made you new, 
and you love him, and then after 40 years, gone. So I'd like to share with you a very simple concept. It is the remembering of Jesus. It is the remembering. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. That's what he said when he gave us the ordinance of communion. Do the, think of all the things we remember in Scripture. Jesus said, all fantastic. You'll find me in all of them. I want you to remember me. And so the concept is simply preaching the gospel to yourself daily. It's the idea of bringing to your mind and to account the substitutionary atonement of Christ, what He has done on your behalf daily. Not to be someone who's in the place who says, I remember when I was born again. It was at a children's church camp. It was at vacation Bible school. It was at High Life. It was when I was at a marriage conference at 50. And that's a point in time when we say, yeah, that's, I remember when that happened. And we set it aside like it's a historical event that had value then, and now I just go about living the Christian life. I come into church. I'm not willing to say to 150 friends, my wife and I had a bad week. I know my mom can do that. I'm just going to shake your hands. Everything's great. Um, I might read my Bible three of the five days, Monday through Friday. If there's an event here on Saturday, if I have absolutely nothing else to do, I might show up, and then I'll come again on Sunday. Because I was saved at vacation Bible school when I was five. But if you wake up daily and you remind yourself of what Grudem says about the atonement, he says the atonement is the work that Christ did in, in his life and death to earn our salvation. If you remind yourself every day and do not take for granted what Christ has done on your behalf, it causes us to live flat out. And there is a man who never forgot I'm convinced, never forgot what Jesus did on his behalf in Mark chapter 15. Now, I don't know spiritually what happened with this man, but I know that this historical event, right, the Word of God is living, it's breathed, it's God-breathed, it's true, it's God breathing into our lives. It's an accurate account of what occurred on this particular day, and this particular man, I'm convinced, never forgot what Jesus did on his behalf. And interesting. His name is Barabbas. Isn't that interesting? His name is Barabbas. Would you pray with me for a moment, Father God? I just stand in awe of the opportunity when you have your saints gathered to be in your word. It's reality, Father, that there are many around the world today who if they were to open the same text of Scripture... They would find it foolish. They would find no value in it. They would read it and not believe it. But by your grace, by your gifting us the ability to have faith in Jesus Christ the Lord, by making us your children, by allowing us to be those called born again, we have this privilege of being in this living word and having it speak to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, you are the creator of heaven and earth, of that which is seen and unseen. You are all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing every moment of every day, and we ask you to lead us in our time. Lord, we are all easily distracted. Allow the Holy Spirit who indwells us to teach and lead and guide us today that we would grow in our faith. On Sundays when we gather, Lord, there is no other reason that, that 
you would be glorified and lifted up and we would make much of you and that the saints would be sanctified and the lost would be saved. And we ask that today. We ask that this process of sanctification would continue in our lives and that if there is any one person or more present who are outside of faith, that today you would save their souls and we plead with you, Lord, on their behalf. That we would walk out of this place speaking of you, talking about you, Focus on you for what you have done. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of gathering as your children. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Mark 15, verse 1 says, Early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and the scribes and the whole council immediately held consultation in binding Jesus. Do you ever just read through the Scriptures? Because you've read through the Gospel 10 or 20 or 30 or 100 times. And you just read through, and every once in a while it stops you in your tracks, and you say, and binding Jesus, the handcuffing of God himself, is what Mark records in verse 1 of the 15th chapter. The binding, the handcuffing of God himself, and they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. I would say that it could be argued that the curse of sin had never been more magnified than on this particular morning. That the curse of sin may have never been magnified as great as on the day that they put God himself to death. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? In 1 Timothy 1.15 it says, It is a trustworthy statement. Deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost of all. So Jesus came to save sinners, to reverse the curse, if you will, to undo what Adam and Eve had done. And again, I would say you could argue that never had the sin been more magnified at this place where God himself is bound and handcuffed and led away to face a government official and then to be put to death. Never had humanity been more sinful Never had the depravity of man been more obvious than on the day that we have come to call Good Friday. A believer can call it Good Friday because we know what God had intended. We know what God did through this day. But when you look at the eyes of man, you see simply depravity. But please note, there's an awesome truth in the midst of what is occurring here. And that is in the midst of the chaos and the false courts and the lies and the hatred of men against Jesus, here was Christ. Here was Christ in His full glory. He was all-powerful. He was all-knowing. He was all-present in this very moment in the midst of the chaos. In the midst of the day that Christians will often sit around and speak and say, how could they have done this? What horrible human beings. The sin is cursed, magnified like never before. Christ in His perfection, in the center of God's eternal plan at this exact moment, which is a great learning point for you and a great learning point for me. Because when we live this life, whether it's in sickness or in death or financial challenges or work challenges or school challenges or church challenges, here is Christ in His full glory, unchanging. Regardless of the circumstance of your life at this very moment, here is Christ. In His full glory, ordaining the steps of your lives that He 
would receive all of the glory. Doesn't it say in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 that we're saved by grace and faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone, not of our works, lest we would boast. And then it says that we are created in Christ as His, as his, his workmanship and that He ordains our steps going forward. It's all for His glory. And we look at this situation, we see the chaos, and we see Christ. We need to apply that to our lives. In the midst of the challenges, there is Christ. I'll never forget uh, the most difficult day I've ever had, sitting in Katie's room on her last day. And there's a reality for, for men, for husbands, and wives know this really well. And that we can only do one thing at a time. They're not like wives. They are, they're having ten conversations with you at once. Uh, who said it? Um, men are like waffles. Women are like spaghetti. They got it all going on. We just got one little square with one little thing of syrup in it. So we got one box going at a time. That frustrates women sometimes. I don't understand why. Because <laughs> whatever one box I'm on, man, I'm focused. <clears throat> But on this particular day, uh, my box was the flocks of a husband and a father. And so I'm watching my little girl who's passing, and I'm watching my wife, and I don't know how to fix it, and I'm watching my other children who are present and not knowing how to fix it for them. And at a certain point that night, I got an a, um, email from a friend named John Guzzo, and he, and he just said, you know, and I don't know what to say, Joe, but to be absent from the body... be present with the Lord. I read it. I looked up and Kathy was holding Caitlin Rose in her arms and she just looked at me and shook her head. Katie had gone in that very second that God sent that truth through John to me at that very second. And then I watched my four children. Annie was home. The four children that were there, the big brother who could do nothing, the sisters who could do nothing to change the reality. And I watched their pain and sorrow and them collapse at various degrees. And I really couldn't, as a dad, fix it. But you know what was true about that moment? Just as true as this moment in Mark chapter 15. Christ was right there in his full glory. For his absolute reign did not change at that moment. There's this realization that it's not the circumstances that determine who he is, but is he who determines the circumstances? Do we get that? It's not the circumstance that determines who God is at that moment. It's God who determines the circumstances. He's sovereign over all things. And when I can step back and I can look at this from my mind and from the scriptures and I see the unsaved people have come to know Christ because of Katie's life, 22 years, I always say Katie wins. Look at all of us. There's a few of you older than that who aren't in the presence of the Lord yet. She wins. Right? I got six kids. She wins. She's in the presence of the Lord. See, right in the midst of the chaos is Christ. That is true in our lives. And the more we learn to apply that, the greater joy we have. It's what Pastor Hansen was trying to say. It's not about the motorhome and the beach. Those are nice things when God allows. But it's about pouring yourself out for Christ daily in the midst of this great human depravity Jesus would exemplify in this release of Barabbas he would picture in that release what he has done for those who are his children verse 2 
you're one of those people who watches the clock, you don't have to worry. We won't go that pace at every verse. Pilate questioned him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered, it is as you say. The Romans had the power of the sword, and so the Jews could not put Jesus to death, so that's why he was bound and led to Pilate. The other Gospels give us a picture of what is occurring in the presence of Pilate. Matthew tells us that the religious leaders testified many things against Jesus, lying to Pilate. Luke tells us the religious leaders testified that Jesus taught they should not pay taxes to Caesar, again lying to Pilate. And then John tells us they called Jesus an evildoer, obviously lying to Pilate. So we come to this man Pilate and we find that he's really indifferent to who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, with the exception of asking the question, are you the king of the Jews? His loyalty is to Rome, and a rebellion against Rome Rome in his mind is unacceptable. So really, he's indifferent to Christ with with the exception of this one question, are you the king of the Jews? And when Jesus says, I am, he just moves on. They're clearly speaking of two very different things. And then Pilate continues, and he says in verse 3, The chief priest began to accuse him harshly, and Pilate questioned him again, saying, Do you not answer? See how many charges they bring against us? But Jesus made no further answer, so Pilate was amazed. Pilate was amazed. See, most condemned men have lots to say. In my 31 years in policing, normally when someone is being accused, um, and and they'll have lots to say in their defense. I was shared with the first... Um, service that my grandsons are six and four, and their parents let them watch cops for the first time. And they're thrilled. I mean, when they came to my house, they could not stop talking about this great TV show called Cops. And I'm thinking six and four, my grandkids, I would never let them watch it at that age. Uh, But I didn't say that because we sat down to watch an episode together. And um, (laughs) so I was proud as a peacock, man. I was like, they actually said this. This is, you know, you know you're a police family when your six-year-old or four-year-old says this. Poppy, it's better than blue bloods because they're real policemen. They catch drunk people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, yesterday, yesterday we have our second Saturday watching cops together. And you can't make this stuff up. The first uh, scene, a guy, policeman goes to talk to him. He runs away, throws some drugs. He gets arrested. When they're handcuffing him, he says, what are you stopping me for? I didn't do anything. The very next scene, come back from a commercial, a guy sells drugs to a policeman, he speeds away, they chase him in a car, he runs from the car, he climbs on their house, they drag him out when they're handcuffed from him, he says, what are you arresting me for? I didn't do anything. Twice in a row. See, that's how people respond when they're facing accusation and arrest. Jesus responded by remaining silent, and Pilate was amazed, for you see, Jesus was right in the center of God's plan. This was God's eternal plan. He was, keep it coming right? So Pilate is at this crossroads. What to do with Jesus? He is at a crossroads. What to do with Jesus? Jesus clearly isn't a threat to Rome. So what do I do with him? We realize it's the question that all men will have to answer at some point. Every man, every woman, every young person will have to answer what to do with Jesus. It's the question you have to answer this morning. It's the question that all of us without excuse, have to answer this morning. See, I don't know whether this is your first Sunday or you've been coming for 30 years, but you do. And the question is, what to do with Jesus? Because it's possible to be here on your first Sunday and need to receive Him as Lord and Savior, 
And it's possible to be here for a decade or longer and still need to receive him as Lord and Savior. It would be foolish of me when the scriptures say the wheat and the tear grow up together to assume because we all showed up uh, somewhat on time and we all sang together and, and we're all listening to the word that we're all in the same place. All men have to answer the question what to do with Jesus. And you know, it's interesting. Many people are okay in society. Um, I don't know how many people when they learned I was bivocational said, hey man, that's pretty cool. That's cool. That's good. How do you do? How do you, how do you work out your time? And I'd normally follow up with, why do you think that's cool? Why do you think that's good? Well, that's, that's good. And what do you think about Jesus? Pretty good. Yeah, good. Said a lot of good things. I like that turn the cheek thing. We need more of that in the world. And um, They're okay until you get to this. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been among men by which we must be saved. Acts 4.12. As soon as you narrow in to there is no other way to heaven but through Jesus Christ, people find themselves not okay with that. And we as the ones left, Jesus said, right, be my disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. We are the ones left that are supposed to speak that message to those who are lost and to bring them to the place when they say Jesus is good. Jesus was, wow, a good teacher. I like a lot of what he said. To remind them of what older, this older saint said, that he is either liar, lunatic, or Lord, right? If someone walks up to you and says, I am God, and the only way to heaven is through me, you don't first think, oh, thank you, Lord. Right? Yeah, that's not your first thought. And so we can't allow to ourselves to be in a society where someone is willing to say prophet, teacher, friend, and not call him Lord. We're, we're the ones given the responsibility to say, what will you do with Jesus? What a privilege to be able to say to someone, well, you know, this is interesting. There's a guy named Pilate who was in the same position as you are. And to be able to walk him through a text of Scripture like this and say, look at what Pilate had to decide. My friend, you have to do the same. Who is he to you today? That's my question. Right, the curse of sin is magnified in this place. Pilate is indifferent. What about you? Where are you with Christ? You know, the Bible says that, that uh, the fear of man is a snare. Pilate was fearing men. Right, he's fearing Rome. He's fearing the, the Jews and what's going to happen in the community based on his decision. He's got all these fear, fear going on. And think about it, an animal running through the forest, he gets ensnared. He can't go forward or back. And so if you're in that place this morning where it, for the first time it feels like the scales are falling from your eyes and the gospel is making sense that Jesus died on your behalf, but you're thinking, but what will my wife say? She thought I was a Christian all these years. What will my children say? What will my coworkers say? What will my friends say? That's fear of man. That ensnares you. You can't move forward or backwards. Where are you with Jesus today? Not a complicated question. See, the good thing about me being here is you get a week off from the theologian. See, he has really difficult questions. But I love listening to his preaching because he takes difficult topics and he brings it down so even I can understand them. This one isn't. This isn't challenging. It's just the most important question you'll have to ever have to answer in your entire life. What have you done with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? Pilate's looking for a way out. Let's continue. Look at verse 6. Now at the feast, he used to release for them any one prisoner whom they have requested. The man named Barabbas had been imprisoned with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in the insurrection. The crowd went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. Pilate answered them saying, do you want me to release 
for you the king of the Jews? For he is aware that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas instead. So Pilate, we know, he's looking for sort of a way out. He's not sure what he's going to do. Uh, We know in Luke, he says, how about if I punish and release Jesus? So Luke tells us he's looking for a way not to send Jesus to the cross. Let's see if we can't punish and release him. We know a couple verses later in verse 14, he says, but what evil has he done? Here he says, do you want me to release the king of the Jews? There was a custom in the days that they could release a prisoner. And he's being faced with that. Verse 12, answering again, Pilate said, Then what shall I do with him, or you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, crucify him. But Pilate said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. The crowd's desire was to see Jesus crucified. And Pilate, at this place of indifference, was listening to the crowd in his great fear of man. And he had a decision to make. What to do with Jesus? Verse 15 tells us what he did, wishing to satisfy the crowd. Pilate released Barabbas for them, and after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. That's what he decided to do with Jesus. Hand him over to be crucified. What about Barabbas? Who is Barabbas? The scriptures tell us he is a murderer and a thief. It was his day to be executed. It would be called a just punishment for his life. Few would have grieved. He was rightly accused in that day and rightly condemned. And I would ask you for just a moment to try to imagine what this day would have been like in the life of Barabbas. You see, anyone living at this particular time would have known the horror that laid ahead for Barabbas. See, oftentimes we focus on the fact that Jesus and two were hung side by side on the cross, and there were three on that, that day on, those, on that hillside. And, and we forget that there were some 30,000 crucifixions by the Roman in this, Romans in this era. Great point is the name that we know of those 30,000 is Jesus. See, policemen like those types of things. Those are called evidences for the truth of who Christ is. When you ask your neighbor, hey, of the 30,000, you know, your, your, your agnostic neighbor, of the 30,000 crucified at the time of Christ by the Romans, do you know the names of any? You know, I know that uh, Jesus. Yeah. Do you know why? What a great open door to share the gospel. So anyway, with that rabbit trail put to rest, anyone living at this particular time in this region would have known the horror ahead The Romans were masters at crucifixion. They had uh, something called death squads. And so, you know, um, in our organization, in policing, we have squads of people that do different things like a motor unit or a SWAT team or school resource officers. Well, the Romans had that. They had different people, different specialties. And one of the specialties in the Roman army was the death squad. Four soldiers and one supervising soldier. And their job was to push someone to the brink of death to flog them right up to the brink of death, but not to death. There was a penalty for that. You couldn't kill someone in the flogging and not not be uh, punished yourself. But they were to bring them to the brink of death, but leave them with just enough strength to get to the place of death so they could suffer a horrific crucifixion before um, the the process and then to die on the cross. Can you imagine that was their job? But these four 
soldiers who were so excellent at bringing someone by whipping, by flogging to the the verge of death and then leave enough to get them up onto the cross and let them suffer more and die, had to have a supervisor because once in a while the Roman soldiers, even the hardened death squad soldiers, would pull back a little bit. And he was there to remind them to keep pushing forward, keep the punishment coming. And so Barabbas would have woke on this morning knowing this. You couldn't have lived without knowing this. This was the horror he faced. What was his last day like? We don't really know other than we know he woke up. There's a debate about what his morning would have been like. Did he have a visit? Did he have a meal? It's unlikely the Romans weren't the kindest of folks. But we know this, that, that where the, the yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him was occurring, down one step of stone stairs and maybe a second step, and down a stone corridor were cells, where prisoners were held. So it's likely that's where Barabbas would have been, and he would have been able to, by the design of buildings and structures in that day, he would have been able to hear the voices above yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And he must have wondered, why are they so, are they so excited to see me crucified? Of all the men crucified, why are they so excited to see me crucified? Having no idea what was truly happening. And then you can just imagine, as he heard the door of the outer cell open. Anyone who's ever been incarcerated will tell you that the sounds of a jail or a prison are very distinct and and very knowing. And you know which door is opening and you know the number of steps it will take for that jailer to get to your cell. And so you can imagine Barabbas knowing that he was about to be flogged and put on a cross and crucified to death, a horrific death, hearing that the steps of the Roman jailer coming towards his jail cell. Imagine. And that jail cell swings open and the Jailer looks into the cell and he says to him, Barabbas, you are free. Barabbas, how can I be free? A man named Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth is taking your place. But I am to be flogged. No, Jesus will be flogged in your place. I am to be executed upon a cross. Jesus will die in your place upon that cross. I'm convinced that no one could ever tell Barabbas that Jesus did not die in his place. No one had to remind him in the morning of who Jesus was. No one had to remind him in the morning what Jesus had done for him when he opened his eyes and remembered he was alive because Jesus died in his place. What a picture of the gospel. What a picture of the substitution of Christ on our behalf for what Christ has done for you and for me as he died in our place that our sin might be covered, that we might be forgiven. Isaiah 53, 6 says this, All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of all of us to fall upon him. Barabbas walked free. Jesus went to the cross. Isaiah says, Our sin fell upon him, and you were made free. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Romans 5, 6, 8, and 10 say we were helpless, sinners, enemies, enemies of God when Christ died for the ungodly. That is you and me. Imagine that. I always say at Santa Mage, you know, yeah, I was helpless. <clears throat> I was in need. 
I'm a sinner. No kidding. Uh, I was your enemy. Think about that. I was your enemy. When we're sharing the the light of Christ with those who are outside of faith and we're having this conversation and, and they're trying to, to be okay with who Jesus is. Now the Bible says you're his enemy. Let's get down to the nitty gritty of who Jesus is and what he has done because the Bible calls you the enemy of God. Imagine that we are his enemy and like Barabbas we have been set free. Dr. Barnhouse says this, I deserve hell. Jesus took my hell. There is nothing left for me but heaven. I deserve hell. Jesus took my hell. There is nothing left for me but heaven. When I remember that in the morning, man, I feel like being poured out for Christ. When I remember that what's ahead is heaven, I'm like, hey, today, it's for Christ. One of my brothers, uh, Randy, comes to church here, and we work together. He's our second in command. And... And we both struggle coming to work sometimes, right? The, the job is big. It's challenging. There's things that happen there. And so we have to pray on our way in. You know, we have to pray, Lord, help me. Help me. This is where you've, you've ordained this position. You've ordained this time to serve. I deserve hell. Jesus took my hell. There is nothing left for me but heaven. In the early 1970s, a civil rights leader made a poem famous called, I Am Somebody. It goes like this, I am somebody. I may be poor, but I am somebody. I may be young, but I am somebody. I may be on welfare, but I am somebody. I may have made some mistakes, but I am somebody. I may be different. I may have different hair or clothing than you, but I am somebody. I may be black or brown or white. I may speak a different language than you, but I am somebody. And I'd like to just challenge you this morning by sharing with you that I am somebody also. You know, I wear different hats, so I have different titles, husband, father, my job title. All those are secondary to this title. I am somebody. I stand before you this morning. I am somebody. This is who I am. I am Barabbas. Think about this. I am the one rightly condemned to death. I am Barabbas. The one guilty of all my sin, I am Barabbas. The one who should have been sentenced to death for my sin, I am Barabbas. The one released because he was taken, I am Barabbas. In my place condemned he, Jesus, the Nazarene died, I am Barabbas. Filled my pardon with his blood, I am Barabbas. And if you are in Christ today, so are you. What a joy to call you a murderer and a thief on a Sunday morning. Because that's who you are. That's who I am. But by Christ. Because in the midst of the chaos of your sinful life, at some point Jesus Christ came in and revealed himself to you and you were born again. The jail cell swung open and you were released and made free. I shared earlier that early this week, I think it was on Wednesday morning, I was preaching this to myself. and I was just praying through it. And I clearly remembered a moment in time where I was in a house I should not have been at 17. I was a wretched man of depravity at 17. And the guy there said to me, Joe, you need to get out of here. Some bad things are going to happen in a minute. And I didn't want to go. I was so comfortable in that place of sin. And it wasn't much longer past that that I was invited to Brisbane, California. 
because the Giants first baseman, Mike Ivey, was going to be speaking there, and I was so egotistical and ignorant of the realities of life that I thought, that's good, because I'm going to play with him someday. I didn't realize I was too short, too slow, and, and had no talent. But in my mind, that was, that was irrelevant, right? In my mind, it was irrelevant. I was going to play with him, so I should go listen to him and meet him. And on that night, he preached the gospel, and I received Christ as my Lord and Savior. And the guy who invited me when he came back, Drew Petiti. Drew wanted to talk about how I liked the sermon and what did you think about meeting Mike? And finally, I go, I got to go get my Bible. And I'll never forget the look on Drew's face. He said, you? He invited me but never expected I would be born again. He had no expectation that a guy as wretched as me could be born again. I'll never forget the look on Drew's face. You? I went back, got that little Gideon New Testament, man, and I couldn't wait to dig into it. That was 1980, so that was a few years ago. I would encourage you to preach the gospel to yourself daily. Remember what that jail cell of your life was. Where were you as Barabbas at the moment that Christ opened that cell door and said, you are free and don't forget it. Don't forget it. Honor the challenge from Pastor Hanson through Pastor Dave to be poured out in this life. To be poured out. To run flat out after the things of Christ, sacrificing daily in the name of Christ because of what He has done for you and what He has done for me. And I would encourage you, if today is the day, if today is the day that the scales fell and you said, yes, I understand it, I want you to know that that's a gift from God. That he just invaded your life with something called grace, his divine enablement to allow you to see truth like you've never seen it before. Don't leave this place without thanking him and speaking to him about him being your Lord and Savior, confessing Christ as your Lord and Savior, and grab somebody to your right or your left and say, I've got to talk to you about learning more about Christ because the scales fell from my eyes today. For the first time, I understand. Let's pray. Father God, what a, what a great privilege to be before you this morning in your word, and to see this wretched sinner named Barabbas sent free. Boy, don't we wish we knew the rest of the story with him. But we don't need it. The story we need is the story of Christ. The story we need to cling to, the remembrance we need to hold tight to, is the reality of what Christ did in his life and death to earn our salvation. What we need to cling to is the reality that we were once dead, but now we are alive. Lord God, I pray for the saints that we would be those who walk away from here excited to serve you, that we would apply truth in our lives daily, that we would challenge each other to walk in faith, that we would not allow fellowship to be something that is casual, but something that is an intense, meaningful relationship where we speak of Jesus, where you are the center of our conversation in all that we say and do. And for the lost, Lord, I pray you save them. That you do their work in their lives in this very place today. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.